Um, but I want to take you back to Isaiah 58 on this message about God's chosen fast. In your bulletin, too, is a graphic about we're going to take the first seven days of February, and that's going to be a week of fasting. Once you you got you got 11 days left after today in January, and 12 days from today is going to be Friday, and we're going to be looking at fasting. You can ask God to show you what you need to do as to what He wants you to fast those seven days. Every Every day do something or just a specific day, but we're going to uh, call the church to a, a week of fasting. Um, the end of the month, or the end of February, we have Dale Everett coming. He's an evangelist from um, uh, Texas. He, I, I had him for revival years and years and years ago, way back. We finally reconnected, and um, he makes a lot of trips to uh, Africa and does large campaigns there, but just a special anointing on his life. And I am so excited about him coming in February. How many want to see miracles? You know, we, we talk about it in class, and we pray about it, and we got people. Uh, my son-in-law is 32 years of age. He's, he's taking medicine for MS. And I told him while I was there, I says, I don't believe it's any strain on the power of God to heal you. He raised people from the dead, and one of them that he raised from the dead was four days dead. That's pretty much of a miracle there. And I said, you're MS. I just believe that God can dissolve those lesions on your brain and completely eradicate your body of MS. And like I said, Wednesday night, he probably thinks I'm a little crazy, but I just believe that. And uh, he knows I'm praying for him. Uh, the last day... The last couple of days of that week, we're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil. And this is why I'm telling this all ahead of time. On February the 6th, that's a Wednesday, at 7 p.m., we're going to launch a 24-hour non, uh, nonstop prayer vigil right here in the sanctuary. So we'll have a sign-up. We're going we're to have people here all through that 24 hours praying. And what we might need is people to watch and pray. People come in pairs, and one praying while the other one tries to stay awake. How's that? And then you tag team. Uh, the disciples didn't do too good in the Garden of Gethsemane doing that, but maybe we can do better. But just praying, seeking God, um, and asking God to do something great in people's lives. Um, his promise still stands. Great is His faithfulness. So let's go to uh, Isaiah 58. You know, I, I uh, read, I preached from this two weeks ago, and what a great message that uh, Brad preached last Sunday. Again, if you missed last Sunday, go to the podcast. It's well worth your time to listen to it. Uh, verse 6 is where he talks about, is not this the fast that I've chosen? I'm not going to rehash what I did two weeks ago. But um, by the time it gets to verse 8, this is what he says is the result the resulting effect of the fast that God chooses. In other words, when we fast the way God wants us to fast, do it His way, this is what we can expect. And there's four lines in verse 8 that we're going to look at them specifically. Here's verse 8 in, in its totality. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, 
and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He says the first thing that's going to happen when we fast the way God wants us to fast, and he tells, he tells everybody that's fasting in Israel that he's exposing that this is not the way you fast and this is not what you do when you fast. And he kind of rebukes them, not kind of, he rebukes them for how they treat their fasting. But he says, if you do it this way, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your light. It's, it's interesting that the first three statements that he says is your light, your healing, and your righteousness. In other words, when we fast the way God wants us to fast, his effect on us is indelible. His light becomes into us so much so that it becomes our light. He says, your light will break forth like the dawn. It seems like he's saying that when you spend time with him and you fast the way he wants you to fast, his presence affects who you are. Do you believe that? I want his presence to affect who I am. I want his light to shine on me. I want his influence in me. I love this line, your light will break forth like the dawn, like the morning when you fast the right way. Morning has always had a special place in the Word of God. Some people are not morning people. I had a sister that said she wasn't a morning person. I don't know what happened to her when she would wake up, but everybody stayed away from her. You know, it's like, don't talk to her. Don't say anything to her. She's like, just wakes up grouchy. And the rest of us are kind of like my mom. We wake up like, you know, it just got on her nerves. She's like, stay away from me. But morning, i tell you one thing. If people were exposed to protracted darkness, they would want morning to show up at some point. Because darkness, and this is kind of like the different things here. He's saying morning arrives, which means that the end of darkness has taken place and light has arrived. It's just not a, a reflection on the start of the day that morning is the start of a new day. It's kind of like the change of climate in our lives, the change of how we see and how we experience and how we walk this out. Sight becomes clear. If you're going to put a really bad mark on your shin, it'll be you trying to find something in the house when it's dark. Or it's like my mom used to do. She used to redo the living room without telling anybody, and somebody was going to get it. Somebody's going to walk into the coffee table and say, what is that doing there? When the light comes on, you can see clearly. And it's the prominence of this truth that's in God's Word. You think about places where weeping will last for the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. There's supposed to be this change. There's supposed to be this change from night to day that is not just about being able to see, but the whole change of this life. In Romans 13, 11, I love the King James version of Romans 13, where he says, it is high time. Don't you like that? That's a good southern. Paul must have been from southern Israel. It's high time you awake out of sleep. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. He's like telling them spiritually, don't stay in the darkness. Don't stay in the shadows. The day is here. Wake up. Be a part. 
if there's one prayer I've prayed for certain people is that God would wake them up. And I don't say that in a derogatory means. It's kind of like there's blindness there. There's a shadow there. They don't see clearly. Do you know people that you really are certain that they do not see where they're at clearly? And the light needs to come on. It's kind of like the prodigal son in the hog pen. The light came on. The light came on. He says, what am I doing here? When my father has hired hands that are living better than I'm living, I'm just going to go back and ask him, just hire me like one of the hired helps. It's better than what I have. But the light had to come on. He would have never headed home unless that light came on. It represents, darkness represents sin. Darkness represents bondage. Darkness represents confusion and deception. Those who are in deception, they're in spiritual darkness. God brings us out of spiritual darkness. When we're saved, the greatest thing that happens to us is light comes into our lives. Light floods our lives and we see clearly where we've been going wrong. You think about the death of Jesus was a horrible day. But three days later on the morning of that third day, on the morning of that third day, women went to that cemetery heavy-hearted, thinking they're going to add spices to a corpse, and that day changed the course of human history. They didn't leave there, and then they left there probably with like, wow, what was that all about? But one thing about that they did not do, they carried those spices back home with them. They were not needed anymore. And as that reality sunk in on those survivors of that night of Jesus' uh, arrest and his torture, they came to see that light had come, that they were now walking in the light. Fasting God's way brings light to us. It'll catapult us into a place of freedom, just like one of the songs we were singing, that this is a place of freedom. This is a place of healing. This is a place where we're restored. And it's interesting that the very next line, the second line, it says, you're healing. Anybody want to claim this? Anybody want to claim this second line today? Your healing will appear quickly. And there's people we've been praying for for their healing. Carl Roop is one of them. We've been praying and believing God. We're just trusting God for our breakthrough in his life, in, his, in the physical malady of his shoulder and the nerve damage and the muscles that are uncontrollably shaken. We, we just know that God has an answer to that. And he says, your healing will appear quickly. And it's, again, it's your healing. It's the promise that he gives to us, your healing. Our healing is attached to what Jesus did for us, is it not? Isaiah 53, just five chapters before Isaiah 58, it is this great chapter on Christ being our substitute, that by his stripes we're healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He didn't do anything wrong. He was holy and just and righteous and perfect. And yet he was treated like a common criminal, like, like the worst of criminals and tortured and crucified. But he didn't do that for anything that he had done. He says he was doing that for our sins, for our transgressions. And then it adds to that, and by his stripes we are healed. What were the stripes about? 
the stripes, the scourging, was about the most torturous part of what happened to him. The enduring pain, the agony, the unimaginable torture that he went through in pain, he absorbed that so that our healing could take place. The Bible says, seek and you shall find, right? Ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door will be open. But this seeking and finding is about a little bit like fasting. Fasting is about seeking. It's also a form of surrender. Now, I'm not going to get into the specific of, of what do you need to fast and how you need to fast. But one thing is for certain, fasting means you're giving up something. You're giving up a meal. You're giving up some benefits, some pleasure. And what you're doing is that you're giving that up in preference for something else. Something of a, of a greater value than the meal, than the pleasure, than the benefit. A meal, a pleasure, a benefit. When you compare those to the blessing of the Lord, fasting is not really about sacrifice, is it? It's about a replacement of something you're giving up for something of greater value. A deliberate denial of a benefit, a want, a habit, something that declares to God. And this is, this is why God says, this is the fast I want you to do. This is my kind of fast. This is the fast that I have chosen for you. And it's not a fast of sacrifice, it's a fast of replacement. He said, if you do this, if you do it my way, in, in light of what you give up, this is what you get. Isn't that great? He's not saying, that I'm really going to be impressed by your willingness to give up something. That's not, that's just one part of fasting. He says, I want to put in place of what you give up this. Your light's going to come on like the morning light. And your healing will appear quickly. God's chosen fast is about our healing. Now, there is something about how we eat, right? We may not like to talk about how we eat, but, you know, we need to eat better. We need to eat healthier, right? Sometimes our healing comes through not just fasting, but changing our eating habits. I mean, I, I remember a guy that when he got saved, he heard that somebody fasted, so he told the Lord one afternoon, he says, Lord, I'm going to fast between 2 and 3 o'clock today, and I'm going to believe you for a breakthrough. Now, he didn't know that fast. He had no idea what fasting was. He just heard about it. So he was going to fast for two and for an hour for God to give him a breakthrough. We know that that's not really fasting. Or just think about this. Think about the morning break. What do we call the very first meal of the day? It's really break the fast. And it's kind of like saying to us that morning means something to God. And it means something when we... Now, I don't know if really breakfast is a breakfast if you eat at 10 o'clock at night. I don't know if that, that really qualifies. <laughs> That's just kind of like an extended supper. But the healing that comes to us maybe sometimes comes through a real strong look at how we eat, what we do. With our food, how often do we eat? The amounts of, of food we eat. You know, these are all, I, I might be touching, uh, stepping on some people's feet here, but there ought to be an awareness of God's blessing on restricting how we do things. Now, there's a book 
I'm going to mention this book to you. Some people like for me to reference books. Uh, it's an old book. I was surprised to see that it's currently in print. And it's currently in print with like people still saying, this is one of the best books ever on fasting. I forgot I had this book in my file. It's God's Chosen Fast by a man named Arthur Wallace. Wallace spelt with an I-S at the end, W-A-L-L-I-S. God's Chosen Fast. And in that fat, in that book on fasting, he covers, it's a very small book. It's easy to read, but it's very direct. And how should we approach fasting? Jesus said, some things don't happen without prayer and fasting. And when you get over to, have you read Matthew 6 lately? Have you read Matthew 6 lately? He talks about uh, praying. He talks about fasting. And he talks about giving. And in all three of those things, there's something that stands out about all of them. One of the things that stands out is that he didn't say, if you give or if you pray or if you fast. He says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And the one thing that just dominates what he explains is, don't do it that way, right? And it's kind of like Isaiah 58 all over again. He says, don't give that way. Don't ring a bell. Hold up your offering. Says, hey, you know, it's kind of like these telethons on, on television where they come out with a big check and the corporation gives us check and it's uh, like, yeah, let's clap for them giving. And, and he says, when you do that, when you make a big show about your giving, he says, it doesn't count. And when you stand on a street corner and you make sure everybody hears you pray, and you make a big deal about praying. He says, that's not how you get God to answer. And when you fast, don't just make a big deal out of it. Put on this solemn face and say, Lord, I'm just suffering. I'm fasting and I'm seeking God. And aren't you impressed with my religiosity? Religiosity. I should not attempt those kind of syllables. <laughs> but here, here's this third line. He says, your righteousness, I'm just surprised when you read Isaiah 58, 8, that he talks about your righteousness. Because I've always kind of said, we are the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is in us. But he says, if you fast my way and spend time with me, my righteousness is going to show up in you. And then it's your righteousness that's going to go before you. Your righteousness will lead the way as to where you walk. It's kind of like going in line with some of the things we talked about Wednesday night, about seeking God with all your heart, going after God. I, I believe if we ask everybody in this room, 